being a witch isn't just about pretty decoration. Are you willing to be an advocate for the well-being and the balance of this planet and all, all of its inhabitants? Are you willing to take responsibility to heal your own shit so that you make a bigger and better impression on the world and your healing can ripple out? I'm an insane, sexual, shadow witch, and my name is Lacey Free, and I'm the fucking host of Horrorpod. Hi, um, my name is Marcella Kroll, and I am a intuitive artist and medium. I make art and create oracle cards and books and things for your empowerment, and I do psychic readings. I absolutely love your oracle cards. Thank you. They're so beautiful, and I feel like they really resonate with a lot of people. Oh, yay. When did you start developing them? Um, in the first edition of my Sacred Symbols deck I created in 2013. And then like, uh, oh gosh, you know, a few years ago, I, well, they've been through a few incarnations. They're now on their third edition. Yeah. So yeah, that was Sacred Symbols was in 2013. Nature Nurture was like four years ago, four and a half years ago. And then my dreamers tarot just came out um, like this fall. Yeah. That is so cool. You've been in the game a long time. <laughs> Intentionally, <laughs> unintentionally. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So you consider yourself a medium? Yeah. I mean, I was, I, I'm not like, um, what is her name? Teresa Caputo. Like I don't hear like <laughs> people's names and things like that, but I definitely talk to and channel spirits and beings. So I, I think medium is kind of the easiest way to describe those contact, the contacts and the contact with that, you know, cause sometimes, you know, people who have passed on do come through, but it's not like, like I said, they're not just like, Hey, my name is Billy and this is my thing. So a lot of times it's more imagery, like projected images that I see in my head or I'll get an, a sense of a, per, a personality type or <clears throat> or like if they're chatty, it will be very like frenetic feeling, you know? Totally. So um, sometimes words come through, but not often. It's more like they're showing me than yeah. talking about themselves. And I, I think that there are people that get very specific things, but I, I'm just not one of them. I get more of their essence, I guess. I I keep getting this feeling like I'm supposed to speak out to dead people more, mm -hmm. but I don't expect like a conversation to right. come back. I love that. As you said that I could start to hear some static and I was like, oh, they're trying, they're trying to show up to talk to you. <laughs> Like, I know. <laughs> I know. I feel like they've been trying to talk to me since I was little. And when I was little, it scared me a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, there was, I think the reason it scared me so much at the time is because there was already so much darkness happening in my realm, mm -hmm. like so much alcohol, drugs, abuse stuff. Yeah. And as I look back with my higher self, I see it as them reaching out to me as like guides or energies. But in the moment, 
I was looking at my direct environment and I think uh-huh. we do this with the dead a lot. We see our direct environment and we place them in our environment, in our realm when they're on a whole other dimension and yeah. it's such a different embodiment than the 3D lives we lead. Oh yeah, absolutely. But also, I mean, there is something scary about when you're in, you know, like you said, you're in an environment that's, there's like alcohol or drugs and things like that there's also going to be not just like you know deceased like good people there's also like entities and energies that you're probably like oh wait that that comes with it too okay yeah you know Mm -hmm. and it was yeah it was really scary I saw some weird shit (laughs) I don't even usually talk about the weird shit I saw because when I speak of it they usually (laughs) Right, right. Start coming in. But mm-hmm. I do remember this time that I was like 10, 9 or 10, and I got a Ouija board. So oh, I started yeah. feeling like more in control of the uh-huh. dialogue. And it was getting scary. Darker energies were coming in. And like you said, I feel they were probably attached to some of the people mm-hmm. or an extension of the people. Because to me, entities feel like part of our shadow sometimes. Totally. I think entities can form their sort of own energy out of our wounding, our pain, or the darker parts of us that we're suppressing. It kind of can form itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely, I definitely can see that and how that would happen. I also think like with the boards and stuff like that, because we, we had, we were, me and my friends were really into Ouija boards too. And, um, it just reminded me of this funny experience. I think we can also, they can bring through like landlocked spirits that like people who are like kind of have been lost for so long, they've just kind of become part of like almost like a zombie version of who they were because they don't, they haven't ascended or evolved out of that yet. Um, We, you know, we had, we had one that a friend of mine, a neighbor girl and I, like we would play with it and then all this bad stuff started happening. But I think, like you said, that was part of like the shadow stuff and the things we were afraid of started yeah. to kind of become mischievous. And, totally. and then, uh, and then it just reminds me of like, there was like these brothers in our school that were born again, Christians. And they were like, <laughs> I mean, we were like 12, you know? Yeah. And then they came and they took my board and they burned it in the field. Oh and like the God. cops came. <laughs> that is, that is, that's traumatic I don't like that it was so I mean it was pretty intense I think about it it just reminded me of that I was like oh yeah and then the cops came and were like what are you doing burning this board (laughs) (laughs) how did you feel about it energetically while they were burning it I was not I don't I was more like confused I just I believed in everything you know when I was younger I was really obsessed with other people's religions like my my grandmother was really strong Italian Catholic and I spent a lot of time with her but my mom was not religious but like also afraid of everything so and like super rock and roll you know but like Mm -hmm. afraid of everything but doesn't practice anything so when I was little I would go to all my like different friends' houses who were different religions. Like I remember one girl, this one family, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was like, can I, can I come to your Bible study? You know, or I would walk up to the street to the Protestant church or I'd have my Jewish friends. I'd be like, can I go to synagogue? You know, I was really curious about all forms of worship and religion. And I think I found that I was more attracted to divinity than anything. I wanted to find the common thread and I just, I loved the the peace I felt in quiet places. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I would go to weird churches too. Not yeah. that weird, but when I was yeah. little, they like felt weird mm-hmm. and not in a bad judgmental way. I just felt like, 
whoa, this is so different. Mm -hmm. I remember going to my friend's house who was a Mormon and I was like in the fifth grade Mm -hmm. and she was like telling me about holy underwear. (laughs) And and I was like, what? And she had so many siblings and Mm -hmm. her parents were so nice. Like I just couldn't get over that they were like all nice to each other. Uh (laughs) I was like, this is wild. And we were in a little theater group and she couldn't practice because in their religion, they had to spend so much time as family. Wow. With a certain, I don't know if that's all Mormons, but that was definitely them. Wow. That's so you, wild. Yeah. yeah. Do you consider yourself a witch? And I know the witch word is like weird, especially now. <laughs> I. It's funny. It was just just talked about this with Jessa where I was like, don't call me a witch. I embraced being a witch for a long time. And I think it's one of those things now that I, and people would describe me as a witch. I just, I I don't know. I have such an aversion to it now. I'm like, call me a priestess, call me a, a spiritual conduit. You know, I think it's when something becomes kind of trendy or commercialized. I'm really, I'm Aquarius rising. I'm like, "Mm, get me away from it. You know, the moment it becomes popular or kind of co-opted by the masses, I'm like, nope, I want nothing to do with it. I'm a little bit like contrarian sometimes with, you know, I'm like, if everybody's doing it, I want no part. (laughs) Yeah. I hear that for sure. Um, I feel like saying witch just comes with this like cringy feeling. It does now, I think, because it's become so commodified. I used to love it. I would embrace it. I mean, I still do. I do. I mean, I do ritual and spell work and things like that. But like and um, and I participate in certain practices. But I think when something becomes commodified and kind of bastardized in this way like it takes the specialness out of it I don't know I might not always feel like that I change my mind a lot yeah that's good um I say that's good I don't even believe in good and bad but I just mean like I think changing language and playing with language and changing our mind a lot is important but I think there's something about the witch where it's always felt cringy Mm-hmm. to an extent, mm-hmm. to be a witch. Right. Um, there was a point where it was cringy to be a witch or bad because of patriarchy and witches were ugly or gross mm-hmm. or dangerous or disease spreading or mm-hmm. sexual. And I think today it's the same thing. It's just what what is cringy now? Having a bunch of white people on Instagram <laughs> co-opting it. Yeah, yeah. And but it's still like to me that same energetic essence of like, oh, I can't be this in public. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I may be doing the magic or the ritual work, but to say it out loud, they'll come for me. Right. Like a persecution a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but I also think it's like deserved, especially towards white witches. Some of the white witches, or maybe all white witches, I've definitely considered not calling myself a witch. But I feel like, for me personally, I have to hold it and not let mm-hmm. it drop out, mm-hmm. no matter who's else is saying they're a witch or right. not. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's so weird because it's like cool on Instagram, but then it makes it not cool. Right, right. So it's like (laughs) actually not very cool Mm -hmm. because it's so all over the place. Well, there's also just a weird perception of what it is. Like there are a lot of people that their first contact with witchcraft and magic is via Instagram, at least, you know, nowadays, you know. So there are layers of how people connect to it. And in some ways, like I think it's really amazing right? That maybe someone who lives in maybe a less diverse place, or maybe they're not 
that in proximity to people that they can kind of get this information from, it's, it's definitely a vehicle for them to find themselves. Totally. Um, I think yeah. I get frustrated though with some of the people who present themselves as this kind of archetype that aren't really doing the work. Yeah. Like it's a surface thing. Cause that gives a false impression about the responsibility it takes to be a quote unquote witch. Yeah. Tell us more about the responsibility. What do you feel like that looks like? I think that there's responsibility in the fact that when you hold this kind of archetypal energy as a person who is taking responsibility for themselves, <clears throat> that's a responsibility to be like, yeah. to choose to say, I am responsible for my own healing. <clears throat> I am responsible for my own liberation. I am responsible to people who have no voice or who have been marginalized. Like there's more to being a witch than just like, look at this pretty crystal and look at this candle and I'm going to post this hashtag. And it's like, no, you have like a moral obligation and responsibility to not just like talk the talk. You got to talk the talk, walk the walk. But being a witch isn't just about pretty decoration. Are you willing mm. to be an advocate for the well-being and the balance of this planet and all, all of its inhabitants? Are you willing to take responsibility to heal your own shit? so that you make a bigger and better impression on the world and your healing can ripple out, you know? Yeah. So, so poetic. Yeah. It's not just, you know, a pretty picture and I've got these clothes that make me look fashionable, like a fashion witch, you know, it's like, there's a lot of other grimy things you got to do. And it includes mm -hmm. looking at the maybe not so pretty stuff or the not so comfortable things. Yeah. I love what you just said about the balance, yeah. like sort of like the global balance, the environmental balance, the human balance. And for me, being connected to the witchy realm is being able to tap into what's disgusting about mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. I also don't think like being a witch is, is to be just good. Mm -hmm. Or to be p just pure. And and for me, I'm having to really be honest about the parts of me that are connected to violence, mm -hmm. that are connected to hate, that are connected to anger and to rage or to my own privilege. And I think being a witch is to be able to walk into that fire and step out of that fire mm -hmm. and to start the fire. And, and I think it's just a constant practice and I don't, for me personally, I don't think I'll get to a place where I'm just healed in it Right. I'm not doing fucked up shit in it, <laughs> but I see life as a ritual and a spell and a constant evaluation. And I, and I feel like I'm shitting, I shit on the Instagram, which is a lot, but, but Instagram can be its own oracle too. Mm -hmm. And it can and I I was following you and I didn't even realize I was following you oh. before I even like knew Justin knew about you or anything. Oh. So I feel like you're probably like an amazing oracle for a lot of people. And I I got a message from you on in not an act like I saw one of your posts on Instagram and it felt like a message mm -hmm. so I feel like you are giving magic through it and I think it can be a realm to spread the magic and oh yeah put intention in it so that it's not just well Instagram I I'll have to say like there's I I think it's such a reflection and it can be anything you want it to be and that's mm -hmm. what is scary for some people because totally. you can you can say like for me I started using Instagram when the app came out and 
it's changed a lot, right? Like if originally it was just like a place for photos, you know, like random photo, <laughs> yeah. your random photo diary, you know? And then totally. I started using it, like posting little magical spells or things or card readings. And, and then it really shifted like around 2012, 2013 into this kind of place for people to start presenting their almost like their practices and their work. And it really became, I've met some of the most amazing people in my life through Instagram because I'm very much an introvert and I'm extroverted when I'm comfortable or I'm around like, you know, people that I feel safe to be myself with. Instagram is a way as an introvert, Instagram has been like an amazing way for me to meet people that I wouldn't normally um, not be too, like I'd be too shy to talk to otherwise. And, um, you know, but I also can see the potential hazards of it because a lot of projections can come through and misunderstandings or even like just as much as I definitely believe in being able to transmit things through the virtual space especially when you have that many people's attention and that can be used positive, negative, or for whatever. And, um, you know, healing or destruction, um, with anything. And, uh, it's, it's so potent, you know, and I, I also like, I shit on a lot of the Instagram, which is because I, I, the thing for me is the, um, for different reasons. Like in the beginning, it was because I was scared and threatened that my livelihood was being taken from me because mm. like I have a history on a personal level and on, on an ancestral level of people taking. And, um, yeah. and that it, it, it's definitely a place that's like kicked up a lot of um, some systemic trauma and old wounding. Yeah. But, uh, but it's also been a place for me to take my power back too. Totally. I just got such big goosebumps and I like want to cry right now because sometimes before I do an episode, I like to write notes and Mm -hmm. kind of do a channeling. And I didn't really do that before this. I just sat with myself silent and I, I asked my guides and I was like, what do I talk to Marcella about? And they just said, how she took her power back. Ooh. <laughs> so like I have so many goosebumps mm. right now. Yeah. I tell love us that. How you, tell us how you took your power back. <sighs> I'm, I, I, I think it's like a constant thing of like we're holding our power, right? And then we go, um, I want to be friends with you. Let me give you this, you know? And then we're like, oh, wait, you don't know how to handle it. I'm going to take it back, you know, or, or we're just like, for me, it's been really about rewiring my whole being, you know, um, I have a friend and I, we were talking about like, you know, and our upbringings and like, you know, and he would say, he's like, you weren't raised to be a good person. You were raised to survive. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I had to like, taking my power back means being um, a little bit for me, I've been really rebellious my whole life. And I think that's what saved me. But then it became like kind of a thing that was also getting me into trouble. But really a lot of taking my power back was because someone told me I couldn't. (laughs) Like, you can't do that. You'll never do that. My whole thing has been like, prove them wrong. Prove them wrong. And, And also just I've never felt a part of and I think that stems from many things family I was born into the family I was raised by versus like the society I mean even like the just the planet I'm like I don't belong here you know and and taking my power back has just been about one it's like one action at a time and I don't know. Maybe it's audacity. I don't know. Like there is something in me that never, I believe a lot of the BS fed to me for a long time, but there would always be something that would like turn a light on inside my head that would go, that's not true. Go do something else. 
Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's a little acts of power. It's, you know, me running away at 13, me moving out at 16, uh, me moving to California on a plane with two carry-ons and not knowing anyone. And yes, those are very impulsive and probably foolish things to do, but they help remind me of my own ability to take charge of my life. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that, like be that extreme, because extremes can get you into trouble as well. But I think the biggest thing is about being radically honest with yourself about why you're doing something or what you want out of it and unpacking all of the lies you told yourself to get you where you are. Yeah. What you're saying about sort of being the archetype of the rebel. Mm -hmm. And running away or doing what society might judge as bad, mm-hmm. that is what saves us in moments. Mm-hmm. I I don't know who I was sitting with recently, but we were sitting by a fire and we were talking about how we don't drink anymore. And someone was like, but yeah, but that drunk me, that drunk little girl, and they were kind of helping me work through it and saying like that drunk Lacey who was making all these really bad decisions, I was actually saving myself in a way from from a certain reality that my family may be living in or from doing something worse to myself. Because even if it looked like on the outside that getting fucked up or trying drugs or getting super drunk, that may have been bad to people. But They don't know the other options I had. Right. And to me, I was having fun with my friends when I was getting drunk. It might have ended up bad at times. Right, right. (laughs) But but that was the most community I had. That was the most family I had. And there's something about getting fucked up. There's freedom in that. Oh, yeah. You're not control. Like I can be so hypercritical and so controlling of self, and I love getting drunk because then there's like I'm not controlling myself anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I'm saying what I want, I'm doing what I want. The social anxiety is like getting washed away. Right. Totally. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Right. It's like you gave yourself a dose of freedom with your own. Like you gave yourself the freedom. Yeah, but then it's so wild how the medicine that frees you can also become the poison that inhibits you. Oh, yeah. So if I keep going down that route, you know, I'm going to be locked in a cage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of it. That makes total sense. I feel that way about Instagram, too. Like, the thing that free – like, that's been so freeing for me – What's interesting is the bigger my like following gets, the less freedom I start to feel I have, you know? Yeah. And that's, that, that can be a little bit worrisome because I'm like, the thing that I love is kind of like becoming more of an obligation than, than like a form of expression, which is to me, from my life personally, I'll speak for myself here being able to express myself freely is my priority for everything in life. It's why yeah. I work for myself. It's why I've tattooed myself. It's why I've done a lot of things is because if I can't create or express, cause I do feel like a big part of my life is about expressing myself authentically. Um, totally. Then I don't feel like I want to be here yeah. not to get too dark, but <laughs> no, that makes so much sense to me. And I like getting dark. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes too much. Um, but why are you afraid of the following getting bigger? How does how does that affect it? Um well it's interesting because like we want to grow our audiences, right? Like because I want to be able to help more people on a bigger scale, but you know, the bigger the audience, the bigger the critics or the, the, the feedback gets. And, and sometimes I have to, 
I'll feel guilty about taking time for myself or I have to, I'll, I'll like post something and inevitably it will help people, but then it will offend someone else, you know, or, um, so I start to feel like before I used to never edit myself and now it's like, oh, I shouldn't put that up there. Not only because like I need, yes, I, I, I like need some things that are private, but because I don't want someone casting judgment on what I post because I can feel it. You know, and I had a friend and I mentioned this when we first got on, like I had a friend write me today about concern about how like they thought I was overdoing it and maybe I need more time off and, you know, not to feel obligated. That feels so gross to me, but maybe it's not gross. Well, it's like, well, I was just like, here we go. Someone telling me what I need, but they can't give me what I, you know, like, there, you know, and the things of like, I wish I was closer. I wish there were people there that could offer you support. And I'm like, you know, I do too. You don't, I, of course I would love those things, but also like, you know, I have to continue being myself, you know, and it can, it's for the first time I've started to be like, oh, I have to like, I can't respond to everybody or I have to consider and this is even the first time that I've had to think like, oh, I have to like get a P.O. box. I have to do these things that I never considered about protecting my energy and my space. Yeah. And um, and that feels also people make assumptions about when you have a bigger audience, like they think it means certain things or yeah. and um it's been it's been a very um intense growth spurt i would say over the last year emotionally mentally spiritually and even in the physical it's been a like a very painful growth spurt yeah i hear that and i can hear how that could feel scary but i think you're you're psychic i really like how you're speaking to how you can feel when people are like casting judgments or coming into your energy field through seeing you through this like online portal Mm -hmm. and that you're automatically organically taking the steps to protect your energy. Yeah. And I think that's fucking cool. I don't know your energy. I feel like the world really needs right now. And it is going to grow. You're going to get huge. <laughs> I feel that. Um, what What was your 13-year-old self like? Or what is she like? Or I didn't ask Ooh. you your pronouns. Oh, uh, she, her, hers. Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, that 13 was like a threshold, right? Like still innocent, but like looking at the 14-year-old going, this is where we grew up. You know, like 13 was the bridge between 12 and 14 where I had to, I was in this awkward um, learning, like how to be, I was ready to plunge into adulthood at 14, essentially. Um, Taking those, I ran away. Yeah. I, I took my power back by running away and it was the first time. I experienced what it felt like to be my own person, you know? And I realized like, oh, I can be free. Like I grew up in a pretty volatile environment, you know? I had two worlds. I had my my mom and my adopted dad with my half siblings and it was very party house, drugs, rock and roll, you know, chaos. And then I had my grandmother who would take me on weekends and she raised me the first year of my life essentially and um who is an italian catholic like reserved business quiet non-emotional non-affectionate woman so it was like two different worlds yeah um but yeah at 13 i was like I ran away. I went to a birthday party. This was this was my like freedom. I ran away. I went to a birthday party that was like a skating <laughs> party. And then I went to a hockey game and then I went to a sleepover. And then the cops picked me up in a field like two days later. And my mom's friend, who was a, a, a tarot reader, like 
they said that's how they found me was like she did a reading and then she brought me a book um it was like dorian uh not dorian it was like dion fortune it was like a psychic self-protection book psychic self-defense that's what it was called um because she wanted me to learn how to psychically defend myself and um, so dope it was really cool i wish i like had the brain span to have really absorbed what that was at that time because i could see she was really trying to protect me because she knew how gnarly that environment was because i would see entity there was lots of weird things that happened like there was like the hostility in the environment but also like i had an uncle like well i had a few uncles who were like into there were a lot of people were criminals in my family you know so i had like like a lot of like that stuff as well just like being put in weird situations i would go to the jail and visit them and i would get dressed up and i thought i was really doing a service for these you know these people were wrongly accused but they weren't wrongly accused i don't know what (laughs) story i had i thought i was like being of service it was i mean i don't know it's comical now but wow yeah (laughs) that's so interesting I think the timelines are simultaneously existing all the time. So uh-huh. I really feel like that 13-year-old you is still existing on totally. a timeline yeah. that we could even jump to. I'm thinking about when I would run away. And for me, it was always this like sad, emotional, righteous fucking anger that I was going to like punish and prove that people are to the people around me. And I love how you were like, I'm going to go po- to a birthday party. <laughs> I'm going to live my best life. <laughs> so like, I was so excited to be at a hockey game. <laughs> like, like go roller skating and then a hockey game. I'm like, yeah, I'm a badass. <laughs> That's so cool. I, I like your 13-year-old stuff. <laughs> I think I just started smoking too. That was like 13. Yeah. I was like smoking the cigarettes, like <laughs> the gross cigarettes I stole from my mom. They're like, you know, trying to be an adult, you know? Oh, totally. <laughs> I was like probably six and you know those bubblegum cigarettes? Yes. <laughs> okay. So everybody had always been smoking around me, doing hard drugs, selling drugs in front of me. But I took a fucking bubblegum cigarette <laughs> and was smoking it in a driveway as a six-year-old. And my mom ripped the bubblegum cigarette <laughs> out of my hand, dragged me inside by my hair, and lit multiple cigarettes and made me smoke them oh no as a six-year-old so I was like throwing up yeah and she was like smoke smoke more I don't smoke (laughs) (laughs) I've like never wanted a cigarette um I just I can like still taste yeah like yeah it's weird like how some forms of abuse didn't necessarily just have a negative reaction in my life. It does, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't. Right, right. And like seeing both sides is really wild. Um, But I also love what you're talking about with like the criminal justice system and you getting dressed (laughs) up. Did you film – did you film – I don't know how to form this the right way, but when I saw the cops coming to our house a lot Mm – That was the first time I felt or um, could perceive that there was a hierarchy of power Mm -hmm. and a bigger power outside of the poor cul-de-sac we lived in. Mm -hmm. So like my mom and dad were the power or my mom and whoever she was with at the time were the power, but not really because, you know, they were like getting fucked up. So they weren't like telling me what to do a lot unless I smoked a fake cigarette. Right. <laughs> but, but when the police came in, it was this force energy. Mm-hmm. And the first time I remember seeing a cop is when he grabbed my dad and pulled him outside and stuck a gun in his mouth. Wow. And I ran outside and stood with my dad as that was happening. And that's the first time I felt magic with authority. Mm-hmm. And this could have been 
total disassociation trauma response, but the way I internalized it was a superpower. And I felt like I stopped time. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it felt like he was going to shoot my dad or hurt him. I think I'm sorry. I should have like did a trigger warning or something because I'm just spewing all over you right now. It's fine. (laughs) Um, And I thought he was going to shoot my dad. And I then I felt like I stopped time. And I remember like running up and grabbing my dad's leg. Mm -hmm. And then the cop like went back into the car. But it felt like all of this time had passed. And I that taught me at a very young age that time isn't real. Yeah. And wow. it taught me how th- that there is fake authority that can come into your home. Uh-huh. That there uh-huh. and and that violence can strike at any time. Yeah. That that life is finite. And it's just so interesting how our experiences make us the magic beings we are now. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Mhm. I think those kind of intense traumatic moments create ripples of magic in your life, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that timeline is still affecting the timeline I'm currently on, mm-hmm. but I'm not always consciously aware of how it's directly affecting it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think when you, you know, also I'm like, I feel like my whole life story is a trigger warning. So I like (laughs) just, just to preface it with, um, you know, there's been multiple occasions in my life where, um, and before I lose this thought, I think you totally stop time by the way, like, or you, you send a ripple through it because I've, I've, I've had like, well, I'll I'll explain that in a second too, but like, I've seen energy ripples happen that alter, like, it's like, kicking something just off the track, you know, to stop something from happening. And I think we do have those abilities, especially when we're younger, before we've been like thrown a bunch of like adult human filters on. Like, I think we have those. I always believe that when, when I was little, we had, especially when I was little, I knew we had powers. We all had superpowers. And, um, but you know, some of my earliest memories, you know, were pretty violent. You know, my, my mom has, uh, you know, five children. We all have different dads, you know, and, um, I remember being a toddler and seeing her and I can still, I still have these, some of these memories like vividly enmeshed in my, like, I can't remember yesterday and I can't remember your name, but I can remember when I was two and I was locked in a closet because we were told with my brother, because we were told that men were coming to kill us, you know, when really they were after my stepdad or whatever, or, you know, my mom's first husband. And then, um, you know, things like that and having to create and teleport to other worlds, like, you know, and, and some would be like, Oh, it's a disassociation. I'm like, no, I think I was putting us, I was putting psychic bubbles around us before I knew what that was, you know? And yeah. And my sense of power and authority is pretty warped, like, because I was surrounded, like you said, I was surrounded by a lot of kind of a volatile environment, but I was surrounded by a lot of criminals who, yeah. and, but also a very corrupt system and corrupt authority. I mean, I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. And, you know, if, if you're from there, a lot of people are really aware of like the organized crime connections and things like that. And, you know, and I have, you know, I'm part Italian. I mean, it's like some of the, the, and then, you know, and then I have other, you know, my uncle, you get praised for certain behaviors. You get praised for not being a rat. You get praised for, you know, I remember my, um, I had a bookie uncle. I had another uncle who was a getaway driver and another, you know, and who made counterfeit money in our basement. You know, and it was like, you know, I remember once my uncle, uh, one of his stints out of jail, he'd come over and I think I was 12, 10 or 12, 10 or no. 11 or 12. I can't remember. I was, I was under 13 though. And and he comes over and he's like, he hands me a backpack and he's like, I'm putting this in here. And he hands me a stun gun. I was definitely like under 12. And he's like, wow. If anyone comes to the door, he's like, you stay in this room. If anyone comes, I want you to like press the button 
and and shoot the door because it was like the New England doorknobs. They're like metal and glass, you know, and I was like, okay. So I'm like little kid, like standing at the door, totally freaked out because like this is my introduction to whatever, like, you know, like <laughs> rolling a stun gun. And then really shortly after, like maybe like two minutes later, I heard stare, like stop, like steps, someone coming up the steps. And I was like, <gasps> you know. I got to do a good job. And I, yeah. I, I zapped the door and I heard like a thud, like a body. And I heard, fuck. <laughs> and I opened the door. It was my uncle. Oh. He had forgotten something and he didn't say it was him. And I was like, oh, cause I thought I was going to get my ass beat, you know, like, oh no. Yeah. And he was so proud of me. <laughs> I followed the directions. <laughs> you know like <laughs> and it was like stuff like that like you know and he was like one of the you know and like go visit them in jail and everybody was bribing each other and paying each other off and like you know and and I would have that experience of like I was as I got to be a teenager I had such a warped sense of authority that I I knew no one could control me ultimately and I would get away with things based on how bad certain members of my family were and it was really twisted it was really really twisted or like how easy it was to tell someone what they wanted to hear in order to get what I wanted you know yeah. and I learned that from my mom and I learned that from the adults around me but at the same time I knew I was different because totally. I would also say things that made people really uncomfortable. And I realize now it was like, um, like my own like abilities kind of popping up. Cause I kept forcing myself through drugs and alcohol to go to sleep, you know? Yeah. And I would wake up for like a month and I'd be like, Oh, this is too much. So yeah. what were, what were the abilities that were showing up? Well, I mean, I didn't know it at the time. I, I really just thought I was not mentally well. Um, I just yeah. assumed like I was schizophrenic or something because I would hear, tell. I had a lot of telepathic stuff. And I would also like randomly channel something and people would be like, how the hell do you know that? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. Or like, it, and it, it was really terrifying for the people around me, you know, um, and in turn, it made me feel like a monster or like I was broken. So I think looping back around to taking my power back, a lot of that really shifted when I was able to like fully embrace art. And I'd always been an artist and I always say I would like, I want to, you know, I, I, I just want to make art. The thing for me was being able to like, people would be like, you can't have a career in art. And I'd be like, watch me. I applied multiple times to this one place and I ended up getting a residency and that changed everything. It like plucked me out of living my mom's life the same way over and over again. Yes. That's so beautiful. I love your energy. Thank you. <laughs> you have like, I always do. I, I hate when I do this is like, you have this, but to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you feel like this, like, strong warrior spirit like very warrior spirit but also this like gentle soft curious artist mm -hmm. and it's it's beautiful Thank I love you. it yes I think we and have I, to be that warrior like to survive right but it's really just trying yeah. to protect like my inner kid is so sensitive and soft and wants to be part of the world but also gets raked over the coals <laughs> you know how some of the powers came in and I thought of this the other night I never have played like a lot of video games you know so sometimes I get tripped up with the language of we're all living in a video game and we're avatars and all of that but I I believe it and right now it it makes the most sense to me as far as the language mm -hmm. around it but I didn't realize that 
I was seeing my avatar as a little person outside of my avatar Mm -hmm. and internally. And what I mean by that is I would get beat a lot. I remember consciously sitting with myself and telling myself, well, I was hiding in a toy box. I would take all the toys out and go hide in the toy box and sort of meditate, but I didn't know what meditation was (laughs) then. And I remember telling myself that when I start to get beat, that I don't have to be my body, Mm. that that I'm a thing in my body that's operating my body. Mm -hmm. And so when I would start, when the beatings would happen, I would see this like little version of me in my brain sort of operating control systems of the body. And I would literally picture myself shutting down certain control systems, hitting certain buttons so I wouldn't feel getting beat. But I didn't call that a video game or an avatar and now I'm like oh shit I realized like I had a higher self and I was controlling the avatar whoa yeah wow. that just that hit me the other day but now I do holographic healing sessions and that is a lot about jumping to the timelines and the dimensions and showing up as a guide for your childhood self like, oh that's so your- cool yeah, it's it's really one of my f- favorite things I, I do because it's not really like I do it. It's a co-creation and the timelines just organically start popping up. And now I just and I talk about it a lot lately, so this might feel repetitive to some people, but I'm a I'm sort of obsessed of what I'm learning about going to these timelines and being a guide for myself. And now as I'm sitting talking to you, I'm like, wait. Did I know how to do that? Because the version of me on this timeline right now went to the toy box and talked to the little Lacey and was like, hey, you're an avatar. These are control systems. You don't have to fill your body. Because I don't know how I would have thought of that as like a Mm -hmm, mm five-year-old. I bet you have been able to – well, it's like you said, we're all running on these these parallels, right? And I bet, you know, you – have been able to support your younger self for a long time, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, yeah. I think that's so, um, that, I mean, in just understanding, like you were able to help yourself from this yeah. vantage point. And I think we all have that ability, right. To send that healing that ability. back yeah. to our, our like younger selves and be the person that we wish was there for us during that time. Completely. And I don't think you even like you don't need me to help you do that either. I think some of us are doing it subconsciously, Mm -hmm. like in the astral realm. So you might not ever consciously think you're going back to your younger self, but you might be dreaming of a time when you were five Mm -hmm. and you might be going there in the astral realm Mm -hmm. and offering a healing that you might not be conscious of here and now. Mm -hmm. Well, and definitely doing that for yourself. And I think if you if you need like one way that I found that helps me is if you if you you need a physical like representation of it is if you do have photos of yourself from that time, yes. you know, like at that age, putting them out if you have an altar or somewhere of importance, just so you can kind of send that version of yourself some love and support. Yes. This is my favorite thing to put on altars is a version of who I want to be or, you know, of my future or higher self, a representation of that, but then a representation of the part that like still kind of needs rescued. Totally, totally. Or just like the things I think that when we're kids that again, like we knew, but nobody told us. You yeah. know, that we just knew on a cellular level, on a cl- like a clear cognizant level, um, even if we didn't have words, like you didn't have anyone saying, hey, here's like how you work this game, but you knew how to do it. Right. You know, I think there are parts of us that do know, but we don't have the, you know, human words or functionality to ex- or comprehension to express it. 
you know, in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Do you do like ancestral healing or ancestral magic or ritual? I do a lot of um, like ancestral kind of like readings around that, where to draw upon and like healing wise. um, One of the biggest things that I'm actually, I start teaching next week. It's the first time I'm teaching this class and um, I'm starting off small with it because it's such um, it's such a kind of intense topic, but it's called healing the liminal. And yeah. why is because of my own connections. I'm, I'm multiracial and I didn't know who my biological father was until a few years ago. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about him or anything. And a lot of that, the information, even on my maternal side that I do know, like was hidden. Nobody, you know, talked about stuff. And I think that there are, there's some pain in or belief that you, you're denied healing if you don't know where you come from. And I, I think for me, when I, I got sober four and a half years ago, and a big part of that was, uh, I deserve healing. I'm going to create, I started to create out of necessity for myself ways to send healing to my ancestral lineages without knowing them. And it was like a combination of ritual, but also creative work. And I I thought more recently in this year, I was like, you know, I want to offer this to other people who probably have similar experiences, whether they're, you know, because a lot of, there are people whose cultures have been lost, erased, stolen, or suppressed, and they deserve healing too. Like, so- you know, there's a lot of, and I honor them a lot. I mean, that's why I have, people can't see this, but I have behind me um, a piece of bug cloth from Mali. And that is where some of my ancestors come from. You know, I have pieces of them around me because I invite healing to them as I do my own work as well. So that that's real, really important in the work that I do that I I bring you back to your reminding you of your essence and not just the ways that your power was taken, stolen or suppressed, but how you can call it forward. It's, and also it works similarly with past lives too, because a lot of times with past lives, people just remember the trauma parts or the painful things. Whereas when I do like timeline past life work, it's about also remembering and uncovering your gifts, your power, your wisdom, and bringing that to your current avatar. Yes. That's so cool. It's especially cool when you talk about healing the ancestors, offering the ancestors healing. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of our culture is like, how do the ancestors heal me? Mm -hmm. How do the guides heal me? What are they going to bring me? Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways we remove the offering. We remove the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Well, Sorry, it's like, I was just like, it's an exchange, right? Like, yeah, with anything. And, um, you know, and people go, well, what about I have ancestors who are assholes? I'm like, me too. You know, I'm multi, you know, multi uh, cultural, multi racial, and there are not always going to be, they're not all good. <laughs> they're not all bad, you know, but do you want to? bring forward the gifts and also know that sometimes these um, beings, they need an offering. It's not just, yeah, like you said, like, what can I get out of this? And I think that's very, that's like, that's what has to change moving forward societally is like, we have to stop looking for what can I get? And, um, you know, I heard an artist that I really admire, um, uh, St. Vincent, who's a musician. And she recently said in an interview, like, a lot of people are forced between survival and dignity. And you have wow. to remember that like some of our relatives, you know, had to choose between survival and dignity. And, yeah. you know, and we've got to honor all facets of it. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love talking with you so much. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for we... talking with me. <laughs> yeah. Before we go, do you – Everything you just described um, is definitely ritual 
of taking your power back. Mm-hmm. But do you have do you have any other sort of magic or rituals or offerings or anything you would like tell someone who's listening who doesn't feel like they have their power right now? Mm. I think that anything can be a ritual. And yeah. I think that's the other thing, like going back to like the, the you know, Instagram, just like kind of costume of being a witch. I think anything that you embody, right, can be a ritual and to take your power back. I love just as a simple thing is like if you have like a beverage in the morning, say you have tea or coffee before you and or you could do this with a glass of water even before you partake in consuming it, giving thanks to the 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 vessel for holding your power and then yeah. charging the the liquid or the beverage with like this holds the essence of my power and everything I take in embodies me and imbues me and refills me and recharges me and then when you like release go to the bathroom or whatever you just release you release anything that's unlike it you know Mm -hmm. and you set that intention to do that you know that's one way I think of embodying your power or calling it back to you. Yeah. And that's so great for the nervous system as well. One thing I don't think we have a lot of education on, we, the general public, is how our nervous system really affects our digestive system, Mm. how our nervous system affects our gut biome, and how our gut is part of our intuition. It's, it's our second brain, you know? For me, I have to be so fucking careful when I eat. And I had no idea I was doing this until recently. But sometimes when I eat, I like my whole body tenses up. Mm. And it's so subconscious. And I like don't fully chew because it, because like I still on a subconscious level don't always feel safe. Yes. Mm. And I'm not. And I don't always just look at it as medicine or honor it Mm -hmm. as you're saying or treat it as if it's ritual. Because every time we eat really should be ritual what we're putting in our body. And I like I like shove it in sometimes Uh or like hide it. Like it's just it's like this weird tense energy in my whole body. And it doesn't even really feel like about food or my body. It feels right. like there's this general untrust of the environment. Oh, yeah. That makes so much sense. I think, and we're all kind of guilty, I think, of doing that in different ways, right? Or at different times, like we're, and I think that's another thing to remember is like, don't punish yourself further by being like, oh, I didn't honor this the right way, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But remember that you're you're working in all these multi layers of yourself and your environment and, um, and, and your, your, you know, your cellular, your DNA, like everything's remembering, you know, these acts of nourishment, you know, and, and, um, keep, just keep showing up, keep doing the best you can, or at least make a commitment to go, okay, I'm going to try to do the best I can today. And maybe this is my best. And, you know, I, you just reminded me like yesterday was I, I forgot, I forget to eat a lot. Um, yeah. I will eat like I'll gorge, I'll eat a ton of things or then I'll have days like yesterday where I forget to eat. And I think that's also a self-punishment thing, but like totally. a, a unconscious self-punishment thing where I'm like, I can't eat until like, I treat it like a reward. I have to get all of this done and then I can eat. But then it was too late. Like I was feeling sick from not eating and, um, and then that's a punishment, you know? Yeah. So we have to be kinder to our our mechanics as well, you know? Our, yeah. you know, like you said, the the gut is like our intuition. It's our, it's another brain. It's another receptacle for our um, showing up in this world. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. But- Thanks for having me. It's such a treat. <laughs> I love all of your magic. Thank you. Where can people find you? Um, I have a website, marcellacroll.com. I have a podcast called Saved by the Spell that's on iTunes, Spotify, 
And on Instagram at Marcella Cruel. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on Horpod. I hope you. you have an amazing day. Thank you. You too. Take good care. Thank you. for listening to Horopod. If you want to book a reading with me, you can go to my website, laceyfree.com or follow me on Instagram at laceyisfree for more of my poetry and I'll start doing more lives on there about energy and herbs. If you have questions about herbs or about sex or your own superpowers or you want to do a healing session with me, laceyfree.com is a great place for that. If you want to share some of your poetry and talk to like-minded individuals about sex magic, about magical beings, about trauma, or just share your art, poems, we have a Facebook page. Horpod has a Facebook page. Just search Horpod on Facebook and join the group and be friends with people share some of your shit and i'm also on twitter i guess kind of i don't know twitter scares me guys but you can follow horpod at horpod on twitter i love you and i'm sending you all sacred fucking rage and love